Thank you for listening today to our podcast here at Word of Life. We're delighted that you tuned in. And I pray that while you hear us talk, you hear the Holy Spirit speak. I know God's got a big plan for you. We're excited to be a part of that plan. Hopefully we will see you sometime soon, maybe even this weekend. Until then, we pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week. Welcome everyone to At The Movies. It is so good to have you guys here with us. And when you notice what we just watched on the screen, you notice one bite changed everything in his life. And I couldn't help but to think about that and how similar it is to another bite found in Scripture, and that is in the story of Adam and Eve. One bite changed everything. Uh, They took one bite of that apple or whatever fruit it was. The apple always gets a bad rap. How do we know it was an apple? Could have been a pear. Uh, But anyway, in my mind, it's always an apple. That one bite changed everything. And today what I want to talk about is the power of of no, no, the power of no. Uh, When my kids were little, I have three kids now. Anybody else have three kids? Anybody got more than three kids? Oh my word, what? It's in the water, ladies and gentlemen. We'll pray for all of you guys. What that means if you have three or more kids is this, you're never bored. Anybody, anybody figure that out? It's you are never bored. And I can remember when my kids were little, one of the things that they all had in their mouth all the time besides Legos was the word no. Uh, and it's like, are you gonna eat that? No, I'm not gonna eat that. It's like, no, you will eat that applesauce. No, no, you know, constantly no. No and mine rivaled. You know, mine, it's like, no, it's not yours. Uh, You know, I don't care if if your name is on it. Daddy bought it. It's not yours. We will share. No and mine. And we worked so hard to get no out of them when they were young. But I tell you what, as they grow older and the more I look at my life and the more as a pastor I pastor uh, and the longer I do it and the older I get, the more I see how powerful the word no really is. Why don't you just say it with me, say no. No. Oh, come on, you sound so good. Some of you have practice in saying this, I can tell. Why don't you just say it with me again, say no. 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 Uh, Satan is not who you think he is. I know, especially if you're new to church, congratulations for making it today uh, to Word of Life. We're glad that you're here. You don't have to believe like us to belong like us. You don't even have to behave like us to belong with us. We're just glad that you're here. But in most people's idea of like Satan, they see him as like this scary beast or monster, like exorcist, you know, and it's like ugly and scary and all of those things. That's not him. If you think you see him, you probably don't. He's crafty. When we first see him in scripture, the Bible uses one word to describe him. Let's see it in the book of Genesis, chapter three and verse one. And the servant was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yes, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice he's subtle and he's throwing out thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. There's nothing about him that seems intimidating. There's not like um, a pitchfork or a red pointy tail or horns. Uh, he comes as if he doesn't need to be resisted. Now, the Bible clearly tells us to resist the devil, and what will happen when you resist him? He will what? He will flee. Who's your pastor? You know the answer so fast. Resist the devil, and he will flee. 
If the devil was how he's portrayed in movies, would anybody ever have to tell you to resist him? It's like, I'd run as far away from that as possible, and I wouldn't run into the shed with all the chainsaws. Like, I would go somewhere entirely different, right? But the reason why the Bible tells you to resist him is because it doesn't seem like you have to. Here, it just seems so innocent. It's just a thought. It's just an idea. It's just a suggestion that at the end of the day is what we would call a temptation. And Adam and Eve, instead of saying, no, listen to it, toy with it, play with it, and one bite, changed everything. Subtle. The word subtle means this, crafty, cunning, and indirect. It's not coming at you directly, it's coming at you another way. Now, the Bible is clear. It says Satan is your enemy, and it wants us to know you have one, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many of you know God is not your enemy? Not your enemy. If it's bad, it's not God. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's the thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible says you need to know about him, because if you don't know about him, you won't resist him. But not only do you need to know about him, you don't need to be ignorant of his devices, Paul said. He has devices in which he tries to gain access to kill, steal, and destroy. He's after your health. He's after your family. He's after your joy. He's after your peace. You have everything he wanted. He wanted to be made in the image and likeness of God. God said no and made you in his image and likeness. He wanted to be called with God where he could sit with God. And God said no and then took you and put him in Jesus and set you at his own right hand. You have everything he ever wanted, including a destiny. He has no destiny. His destiny is a burning pit of hell. Yours is forever with Jesus. And he's angry. He's furious. And while God is incredibly merciful, God is so stinking merciful, it's ridiculous. How many of you are thankful for the mercy of Jesus? Oh my gosh, right? Where would we be without his mercy? God is merciful. Sin is not. And neither is Satan. They are cruel. They are ugly. And they're real. And it's not something to be afraid of, but it, afraid of, but it is most definitely not something to be ignorant of either. The first time we see Satan, he's subtle. He's coming with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. It appears as if he's something that doesn't need to be resisted. That's the first time you see him in the Old Testament. You know what's interesting? We see him again for the first time in the New Testament, in the life of Christ. Here Jesus is fasting for 40 days because he's awesome, right? Jesus is awesome. He's fasting for 40 days. He's out there rocking it, doing his thing, and you know he's hungry, but God's told him not to eat, and Satan comes, and once again, it's, it's not like a dark cloud rolls in and the house starts shaking and dolls start coming alive. It's like none of those things happen. Like he's just sitting there and a thought comes. An idea comes. A suggestion comes. A temptation comes. Take this stone and turn it into bread. It was a tailor-made temptation for that season, for that moment. He's been watching Christ. He's been spotting where there may be a weakness, and he hits there. Now, thankfully, Jesus said, no, no. Three times, temptation came strongly, and Jesus says, no, I'm not doing it. Adam and Eve said, sure, <laughs> why not? And my question is, is what are you doing?
What are you doing? Uh, the book of James. Let's go over there and look at it. James chapter one, it's just been in my mind the whole year. Like the whole book, like James chapter one is like, you talk about a good chapter for fun, for fun. You should go home and read the entire chapter of James chapter one. But in James chapter one, it says something very interesting in verse number 13. It says, let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, let's notice something first in verse 15. When sin is finished, when it is finished, it brings forth death. So it gives the impression to me, and this is just me, I'll let you make up your own conclusions, that you can be in it for a while, and while it's not finished, you're fine. Marriage is fine, the health is fine, the life is fine, the family is fine. Everything is fine because it's not finished. But when it's finished, it's gonna kill something. And you know this to be true, right? Like anybody, if you watch people, and some of you, you just like people watching. I was talking to a guy the other day. I'm like, you know, what do you like to do for fun? He's like, people watch. I'm like, really? It's like, yes, I'll go to an airport or I'll go to a mall and I'll just sit on a bench and watch people. I'm like, okay then. I ran away, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, but if you just live long enough, right, have you seen this happen? Have you, even God loving people, have you seen in their life where just something came up and took something? Just snatched a family. And it's like, how did that happen? And we come up with cute Christian terms because for those of you who are not Christians, like we have all of these cute Christian terms. Like they fell into sin, really? <laughs> fell into it, like just woke up and like, where am I? I'm in sin, like, right? Like, no, no one falls into sin. There's a process. And James shows us what that process is. Let's build it out from verse 14, if you can go back up one. But every man, so... You can just relax, it's not just you. Doesn't that just make you feel good? It's like, okay, okay, this is everybody. Like this is not just like a me issue. This is a global, every one of us issue. Ooh, it gives peace. Every man is tempted, and when he is, he is drawn, pulled on by, this is interesting, his own lust, his own lust. It gives the impression that it's personal, his own, his own. It's personal. It's that issue. And for everybody, it's different. It's amazing how different it is. Like, for everyone, it's different but common all at the same time. You know, it's like, it's, I may wrestle with, with something that, that you don't wrestle with, but then there's probably 50 other people in this room who wrestle with the exact same thing. It's, it's so different, but it's common. Like, for some, it's genuinely lust. For others, they don't wrestle with lust, but man, man, like, they really get their feelings hurt. Like, for real, for real, get their feelings hurt. And it's just hard for them to just let it go and move on. 
even after watching Frozen. <laughs> it's just hard. It's hard to let it go. And for them, it's difficult. And for others, you can't offend them if you slap them. They're, they're right back to normal. The next week, it's like, you, we good? Yeah. That's not their issue. But for others, it is their issue because it's their lust. And here's the thing. Your adversary, the devil, here's his chief device, his chief one. He entices that lust. You haven't eaten for 40 days? You know what you're going to be? Hungry. I haven't eaten for 40 minutes. You know what I am? Now, uh, this is the, the truth, right? Like, so in these moments, you know that there is going to be an internal desire, an internal kind of like food. But in Jesus's life, it wasn't just an internal desire. There was this exterior pull. It's like, why don't you eat? And apparently in some of our lives, in all of our lives, some of the time, these lusts get enticed. Something pulls on them. Something draws on them. Because it's in game is if it entices you enough, it'll get you to sin. And if you stay there long enough without repentance, it always brings death because God is so merciful. Sin is not. With God, woo, man, he'll pull you out of every mess. But sin, no mercy. And what I really just felt compelled, in fact, this wasn't even my message. Like the Spider-Man bite, I was actually going to talk about unforgiveness. Like I was going to talk about, it's not the bite that really matters, it's what comes into you when the bite happens. And it's like, he gets bite, he's like, ow. And he's like, you know, for a moment, he's, you know, unfazed. But what was in him was like a superpower that was charging. And I'm like, you know, when we get hurt, it's like a bite. And it's like, oh, you know, it, it hurts us when people are mean to us. But then the real bad thing is the unforgiveness that gets in us from the bite. I was going to go in that direction. And I couldn't get peace on it to save my life. And the only thing that kept coming up was this. I'm like, I don't want to preach on that. But this was literally the only thing I could communicate. And I'm like, how in the world am I ever going to tie that over into the clip that my media team has prepped for? It's Spider-Man weekend. And then I thought, ah, there's another bite. There's another bite. Bite of the apple, bite of the bread. I'm like, come on, Holy Spirit, you know. You know. But for every man... This process is going to play out in your life. I don't care who you are. This is going to happen. For some of you, it's happening right now. For others of you, it may happen five years. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Just as Jesus went through it, and Adam and Eve went through it, you're going through it too. And when you go through it, what's going to determine the outcome is whether or not you say yes or whether or not you say no, because he watches you. He's watch, he seeks whom he can devour. He can't just devour you. If he could devour you, all of us would be devoured. He seeks who he may devour. And you know what he's looking for? 
the wounded gazelle. That's the one. You ever watch National Geographic? It's like they get the slowest one. He's looking for that. He's looking for a weakness. And when he finds it, he entices it and inflames it. I'll give you an example. In the book of John, we see, book of John, uh, we see Judas. Judas had some issues. I mean, (laughs) Judas had issues. Uh, Like all of us, Judas had an issue, and his issue was he's a thief. Well, he committed thievery. Uh, You know, we throw labels on people. Uh, But he committed thievery, and it caught him. But not for a minute, because it wasn't finished. In John, Judas is watching Jesus have like oil dumped all over him, like perfume, like expensive stuff just dumped on him. And Judas speaks up and he's like, you know what, we could have taken that and sold it and given it to the poor and here we are, just waste of it. Shame. Jesus is like, no. This was meant to honor me before I die for the whole world's sins and the world will not forget about it. But the Bible shows he may have said that with his mouth, but he meant something entirely different with his heart. And watch this in John 12 and verse 6. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bore what was put therein. The whole time Judas is walking with Jesus, he's got this issue. Like, at this point, Judas has walked with Jesus intimately for two and a half years. Not only has he walked with Jesus intimately for two and a half years, he was handpicked by Jesus with 11 other guys to like be the guys who carry the whole thing on after he leaves. Which tells me something, you can be called and you can walk with Jesus and still have some issues. And just because you have that issues does not mean God will not call you and doesn't mean God won't use you Because God has to work with people with issues because that's all he has to work with. That's all he has to work with. Amen. So don't think your issue disqualifies you from being used by God. God's merciful. I said God's merciful. But sin is not. And the whole time this issue's in this boy's life, he's a teenager. Do you know that? Most of the disciples were teenagers. Brings everything into perspective, right? It's like, seriously, Google it. How old were the disciples? They were teenagers. Some of you will do it right now and find out I'm right. (laughs) I'll save you the effort. They were. Think about it. John's like, go tell John and James, their brothers over there talking. They're like, let's get our mom to go ask Jesus if we can like sit on his right hand. And it's like, why would you get your mom? It's like, oh yeah, you're 13. Of course you'd get your mom to go do it. No, it's true, they were teenagers. And here Judas is this young man, and he's got this issue in his life, and the whole time he has this issue, he's seeing blind eyes open, he's seeing miracles, and everything's fine, because sin wasn't finished. And the whole time this is going on in this boy's life, he's got an enemy watching And this enemy, he's got one thing in mind, destruction. I want it. I want his destiny. I want his life. I want his call. I want it. How will I get it? Let's see what his own lusts are. And when he saw it, he knew he had it. 
The next chapter, after all this kind of plays out, watch what happens in John chapter 13 and verse 2. They're at the, the Great Supper, Last Supper, and the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Now notice, this was not like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to be crazy and just ruin everything. Uh, this was the devil having now put into the heart of Judas. Now here's what I bet. I'm willing to bet that if you would have asked Judas in this moment, like when he's selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, is the devil making you do it? And he'd have said no, because Satan is indirect. If you think you see him, you don't. He disguises himself, and he doesn't come with a pitchfork. He comes with thoughts, ideas, suggestions, temptation. And here Judas, the whole time he's been with Jesus, he's had his hand in the bag and it's cost him nothing. There's been no ill effect. There's been no like correction. There's been no like Jesus is like, I'm done with you, Judas. I'm God, I know all things. There's none of that. Because God is patient and he's merciful. He's good always. Amen. There's none of that, but you know what there is? There's an enemy watching. He's like, how can I get this boy? He says, ah, the whole time, this has cost Judas nothing. He's gotten away with it over and 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 over again with zero consequence. And in Judas's mind, he's like, they've tried to kill Jesus how many times? And every time they've tried to kill him, he walks right through them. There's no way they're going to kill him. And they come to Judas, and they're like, look, because remember, it's a tailor-made temptation. It's not just, do something crazy. It's, you're hungry, eat bread. It's, oh, here's a quick buck, and it hadn't cost you before. This will be easy, too. It's a thought, idea, suggestion. Sell them for 30 pieces of silver. Christ has always walked through people. He'll walk through them now. Jesus will be no worse for wear. You'll be 30 pieces of silver richer. It'll all work out for everyone. No one will get caught because you've done this before and it did not hurt anybody. Except this time, sin was finished. And Judas starts watching this all play out. And remember, he's a young man. He's watching this all, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 like, why, why are you not walking through them after they all fall down, Jesus, when you tell them I am he? Like, why are, whoa, 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 like, why are you letting them, like, tie you up? Why are you letting them, like, beat you and hit you? Why are you, like, going to a cross? Like, no, 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 it was not supposed to play out this way. So he comes to the leaders, and he's like, here's your 30 pieces of silver back. Just like Esau. No, 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 I want the birthright back. Because his wasn't greed, his was food. Just like Samson in a pit. It's like, no, 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 I want my hair back. Because his wasn't greed, his was laziness. I'll do it tomorrow. Until there was no tomorrow. But I'm fine. It's not finished. And they tell Judas, no, we're, we don't want the money back. He's like, no, 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 take it back. And, and no, we don't want it back. And he hangs himself. 
Does that sound extreme? Yes, it sounds extreme. And as most people's lives play out that way, no, and thank the Lord for it. But you know how it plays out for most people? It's Peter going back to the fish after he denies Jesus because he won't listen to Jesus, tell him to watch and pray and say no to that flesh when the temptation comes. And instead of going into the book of Acts and winning thousands of people to the Lord and writing two books of the Bible, the greatest thing that he does with his life is catch some fish. And it took the Lord coming back saying, I know you missed it and sin was horrible and unmerciful, but I'm still with you. And I guarantee you, had Judas not hung himself, Jesus would have done the same thing for him too. In all of our lives, you see David, like at the end of his life, he's holding the head of Absalom, his son. He's weeping over his boy. Absalom's issue was vanity. He never dealt with it. Something in here. <laughs> it's true. DNA. You can test somebody's DNA. There's something about it. He, he, he never would deal with it. And the very vanity he had was the very vanity he hung himself with. But all of this is played out in Absalom's life. And David, his father, I have a son. I have two sons. And in David's life, he's holding his son, Absalom, in his hands. And he's weeping, saying, I wish it was me. And you know why he's saying that? It's not just because it's his boy. It's because he knows this is on me. Years ago, David had a specific weakness. Whenever he wanted a woman, he always, he always could have it with zero consequence. Whenever he wanted it, zero consequence. David was amazing. Um, you, you couldn't get more amazing in so many ways than David. He was prophet, priest, and king, a lover of God, not afraid to take off his kingly robes and dance around like a, a priest. He was a man who was like a, um, you talk about superstar, he was the athlete. He's on the field, winning all the battles for the nation, coming back in, he's leading the parade. He was the greatest politician, he's king. He could sing and write music. The biggest book of the Bible is songs that David wrote. Still had an issue. Which once again, your issue does not disqualify you. Because God is merciful, but sin is not. And David is having all of this play out, never checking this part of his life because he's never had to. It's never cost him anything. It's never hurt him. It's never hurt anybody, at least in his mind. It's always worked out well for everyone, and it's always been great. And now he's holding his son in his arms, and this is the third one who has died, all because years ago, He's at the pinnacle of his success. No one can check him, including God. And he looks down and he sees a woman bathing and she's beautiful and he's like, whoo, a thought, idea, and suggestion comes. And the Bible says when he saw her, when he saw a woman washing herself, you never could have convinced David you're gonna hold three boys in your arms just off a look. I'm just looking, that's not all it is. You ne Pastor Joe, you never could have convinced David that all the pain you're about to experience over the next four chapters of the book of the Bible in, in 2 Samuel, all the pain you're about to experience is gonna start with a look. It's gonna start with a conversation. 
It's gonna start with a text. It's gonna start with a Facebook message. It's gonna start with fill in the blank. You never could have convinced him of it. And he's holding his boys. And he's crying his eyes out because he knows it all started here. And everything in this story is screaming no to David. Everything. You understand, like, as a king, you can kill whoever you want to kill. Like, you're king. This is not a democracy. And a servant would never, ever in a million years tell a king no, ever. But the reason why this is in here is because it's a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. And if God can't get to your heart, he'll try to get to you through a person. And so David knows to say no, but he's not. And so there's a servant there. David tells the servant, go get her. And the servant's like, no, 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 not a good idea. Not a good idea. David, listen, look, you know her, you know her husband, Uriah the Hittite, everything about this is screaming no. You know what David said? I don't care, yes. We'll be fine, yes. It'll be okay, yes. No one will know, yes. I've done it before and it hadn't cost me. Yes, 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 yes. And then sin was finished. And at the end of it, he's murdered a man, committed adultery, has this baby that he doesn't know what to do with, hadn't talked theologians say to God for six to nine months. This man who was known for his worship has stopped worshiping. This man who was known for his prayer life has stopped praying. And God has to send a man by the name of Nathan to him. You know what my middle name is? Nathan. God has to send a man by the name of Nathan to him and tell him you're the man. And thank God David finally heard no. See, it's not a you thing. It's a universal thing. It's a Judas thing. It's a Cain thing. I was reading the story of Cain in between services. And Cain, he just gets so jealous of Abel. You ever been jealous? I have. Just jealousy pops up and he sees Abel be accepted and he's like, I wanna be accepted. And he gets angry over jealousy. And God comes to him. You know what God tells him? He said, sin lies at the door. And you know what's gonna prey on? It's gonna prey on your own lust that you're demonstrating now because you're not the only one in the story. There's someone watching. You know what he's watching for? Your own lust. And you know what he says? God says to Cain. You know what he says? He says, and his, he calls sin by his, because we know who the father of it is, it's Satan, and his desire is to have you. His desire is to have you. You know, in King Saul's life, at the end of his life, he dies by the spear he threw at David. He kills himself with his spear, but instead of dying by the spear, it's, you gotta read your Bible, man. Instead of dying by the spear, he's still alive with the spear he once threw at David, now in him. And a guy walks by and he's like, wait, 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 come over here, come over here. Kill me, kill me. And Saul asked him, he says, who are you? He said, I'm an Amicalite. It's like, 
Kill me. And so he does. And this Amicalite takes the ring off his finger, the crown off his head, and he comes and gives it to another man. He takes his power and his glory, gives it to another man. He takes his call, his purpose, and he gives it to another man. Who? An Amicalite. You know what God once told Saul to do? Go and kill all the Amicalites. You know what Saul did? He left it alive. And the very thing that he should have killed was the very thing that killed him. Two weeks ago, I picked up my son from soccer practice. It was raining, cold. You ever had one of those soccer practices? Or just our, you know, like football, whatever, outdoor practices. And you're in the car and your kids are outside. And it's like, thank God I'm not out there. <laughs> and my son gets in the car and I can tell he's just, oh, he's emotional. He didn't like it. He's cold. And he's just frustrated and letting it show. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth is speaking. And I smile, and I had this flashback of when I was a kid. When I was a kid, my, my parents had this a great idea, that's uh, sarcasm, uh, to put a desk in my room. Uh, I was kind of struggling in school, and so the thought process went like, we'll replicate school, but that was the very thing I wanted to get away from. <laughs> and so I had this desk in my, my room where I will do all my homework off this desk. And I'm there and I'm writing, like taking the test and doing all of these things. And I get to some schoolwork. I was redoing a test, you know, because they would let me fix my mistakes, that kind of thing. And I couldn't figure out the problem on this part I had to write a paragraph on. And I just began to vent. I was probably 11. Just began to vent. Like, oh, I just vent. And uh, apparently I was louder than I thought because my father came in the room. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, you ever like had your mom yell at you and then the phone rings and she's like, hello? It's like, amazing, how fast. You can change. And my father walks in. He's like, what's going on? And I tell him, and my father being a pastor, he gives me a verse. Now, I never forgot this. Never forgot this verse. He said, Joel, you want to see how the Bible ends? I'm like, I guess. In my mind, I was thinking, not really. <laughs> 11. And he says, let me show you. He grabs him a Bible, and he opens it up to the final book of the, the Bible, Revelations 21. He says, he that overcometh will inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. He that overcometh inherits all things. Not everybody's going to get everything. You ever seen that in life? Not everybody gets all things. Because you know who gets it? Overcomers. And my father taught me something on that day. He said, Joel, in life, you got two choices. You can be an overcomer, you can be a victim, but you can't be both. 
He said, I don't care about this paragraph and all those things. He said, you know what I care about with test grades and everything else? You learning how to overcome. Because he said, Joel, in life, you're gonna have life throw junk at you. You're gonna have it be unfair to you because life is not gonna be fair. And little did I know how correct he was. Life's not gonna be fair. But he said, Joel, if I can teach you one thing in this household, if I can teach you how to be an overcomer, you're gonna be fine. But he said, the key to being an overcomer is at some point you have to rise up and you have to fight and you have to overcome something. And you know what I found? God's the same way. God's the same way. In our lives, he comes and he tells us, there's gonna be a fight. You're gonna fight temptation. You're gonna fight disappointment. You're gonna fight sickness. You're gonna fight things that come against your family. You're gonna fight crazy people. Like there are gonna be people in life who just seem like it's their job to just absolutely irritate you. You're gonna have to see all of these things. But you know what? If I grab my wife and I'm like, look, honey, put on your best dress. Well, I'll put it on, baby. Best dress. Go get your hair done. Get whatever you want, makeup supplies, whatever. Put on some perfume. And she does all that. We're sitting there in the living room, and she's like, where are we going? And I tell her, right here. I ordered Crystal, and we're going to watch it right here on this sofa. Monday night football. Well, she'd get mad, right, to get all dressed up and have no place to go. And here's God with you. Come here, son. Come here, daughter. What are we doing? Here's the helmet of salvation. Here's a sword of the Spirit. Here's a shield of faith. Here's a breastplate of righteousness. Here's some shoes shed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, what's all this? Oh, you're going to just trust me. I'm not getting you all dressed up and giving you no place to go. There's going to be some things to use that shield on. There's going to be some things to use that sword on. But you know what the whole key is? You got to fight. You got to make it your mission in life. I will not be a victim. I will not make life play fair because here's the secret. Life is not fair to any of us. It's not fair my father passed away when I was 17 years old. It's not fair to take over a church at 19. It's not fair for any of those things. It's not fair that you never had a father. It's not fair that they walked out on you. It's not fair that they fired you. It's not fair. But you know what? Life's not fair. And the people who inherit all things are those who realize it and say, you know what? I'm just going to overcome it anyway. I'm just going to come over it anyway. I'm just going to overcome it anyway. I don't care. It's not fair for anyone. I'm just going to fight and overcome it anyway. Because thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph. And you know what? You're going to have some things to overcome. And you know what the most important thing is? Whatever's your own lust. Out of all the stuff in life that you are going to have to overcome, that's the one. And if you make up your mind to beat it, to resist it, to realize it's not just you, but it is Satan who is enticing that thing and to rise up like Jesus and say, no, 
I'm not letting you have my ministry. I'm not letting you have my family. I'm not letting you have my call. I'm not letting you have my destiny. I'm not letting you have my purpose. I'm not letting you have God's plan. No, 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 no. I'm not taking the bite. That stone is staying a stone. I'm not making it bread. I don't want a bite. I don't want the story to change. I like the story just the way it is. And I just hear the Lord just echoing in my heart. Just say no. No more. No. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person here. And Father, I know that in this room, there are men, there are women, there are sons, there are daughters, there are marriages and families that have been wounded, hurt, disappointed, and broken. But Father, I just thank you that by the power of your grace, you empower them to say, do not rejoice over me, my enemies. Do not rejoice over me, my enemies. For though I have fallen, I will arise. I will arise. And by the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Father, I thank you. Your Holy Spirit right now is making visions arise, marriages arise, families arise, making peace arise, forgiveness arise, joy arise, faith arise, fight arise in our hearts, in our families, in our marriages. Father, breathe a breath of fresh air. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you want a new beginning, do you know Jesus can give you one? He's the only man who can take a man and give birth to him again. Born again. A baby who's born has no past. So that's innocent. He's never made a mistake a day in its life it's never had any other day it's been born clean and innocent you know what you can be born again again today some of you you need a fresh start you need a breath of fresh air and if you're here today and you say you know what pastor joel i sure want that god can give it to you and all he needs is your surrender so if you're here today and you say, that's me, Pastor, I want a fresh start, a new beginning. I want to be born again, again, maybe again, 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 I don't know. But you need a fresh start. God's grace is here to give it to you. If you say, that's me, Pastor, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Would you do something for me? Would you just lift up your hand all over this place? That's you. Hands going up all over the room. 
all over the room. Amazing. Everybody in this place, just say this prayer with me. Please repeat it after me if you want to. Just say this with me. Say, do not rejoice over me, my enemies. Though I've fallen, I will arise. Today, I get back up. Today, my past is past. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm an overcomer. And Father, I thank you. By your grace, though our sins were red like scarlet, you've made me. You've made us whiter than snow. I thank you, Father. It's got to go. Everything in my life has hurt me, harmed me, abused me. It's got to go. I say no. No more heartache, pain, disappointment, addiction. I'm an overcomer. And Father, I thank you by your grace. Today, you're making all things new. Father, I thank you. I'm on my feet again. And I say boldly, this is the beginning of the best days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.